Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Christ Walk. How is everybody doing today? Excellent. I'm going to move this cord because I know that if I don't, y'all will get to laugh at me later on because I will trip and fall. Man, it is so good to see everybody today. Um, I just let uh, sent a text to somebody here just a second ago, and I said, I don't get in the ocean for just anybody because, you know, sharks. <laughs> but I'll get in the ocean for Jesus. So y'all better, y'all better sign up. It's going to be a great day, man. I'm pumped about the water baptism. Plus, the more people that I have around me in the ocean out there, the less likely I am to be the one that gets bitten. So, you know, let's, let's bring everybody out. Um, if you got your Bible, uh, you got a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me to um, the New Testament. Uh, the Bible's divided up into these two big sections. You got the Old Testament up front and then the New Testament um, toward, towards the end. Uh, and, and in those, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the Gospels. Gospel means good news. And those books are good news because they tell the story of the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you to turn with me to the fourth gospel, uh, the fourth book of the New Testament, the Gospel of John. And we're going to be in the sixth chapter um, here in just a minute. We are going to land there uh, in just a moment. So uh, in, in just, just a few short months, um, my wife, Sarah, and I are going to celebrate 15 years of marriage. Just, yeah, yeah. Some of y'all are like, I can't believe she's put up with you for that long. And just, just to clarify, that's 15 years of marriage to each other. Um, you know, just in case anybody, anybody was wondering, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, it seems like it was just yesterday that we said, I do. And I can remember, I can remember those early, you know, those early years, um, of our marriage and, and we were trying to figure things out and, um, I would come in from a long, hard day at work, and I would snuggle up uh, next to Sarah on the couch, and this was before, you know, this was before kids and everything. I'd snuggle up next to her on the couch, and we'd be sitting there watching TV, and then she would start to look at me longingly, and she would, she would cuddle up close to me, and she'd lean over, and she'd whisper that three-word phrase that has become so popular in marriages today, what's for dinner? Right? And and I'd like to I'd like to tell you that after fifteen years, you know, that we've gotten that figured out, but we haven't. That's still probably the number one most asked question in our household, in, in our marriage between the two of us is, is, is what's for dinner. But, but we have progressed a little bit. So like she's learned that whenever, uh, whenever it comes to the dinner question, um, that, that first she needs to like give me the opportunity to say what I want. And I've learned that whenever she asks what's for dinner, I just say, well, maybe it's, it's fine. Like I just, whatever, whatever you're in the mood for, you know? And so we have this little cat and mouse game that we play back and forth and it could last, you know, one, two, three, 17 rounds, like whatever, you know, and we're trying to like, you know, like 
be flexible and, and, and you know, be, be uh, willing to take a back seat for the other person and everything. And, and so then, then what's gonna happen is she'll claim, like, she'll ask me, what do you want? And I'll say, I'll say babe, whatever you want is, is fine with me. And she'll say, well, I don't care, you pick. And so then eventually I just get tired of going back and forth. And so I pick a restaurant or I pick a meal or whatever to which she quickly says, well, I, will, I don't really think I want that. What, we just pray and go home, like right now? Like, <laughs> but five minutes ago, you said it didn't matter that whatever I wanted, right? And so, so I finally picked something, and no, I don't think I want that. And so then she makes a suggestion, and we just have what she wanted in the first place. And, you know, we just end up going with whatever she says. And, like, that's how, you know, that's how it happens. Um, so, you know, if, if, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? You know, so we just do, that's, that's what I've learned in 15 years of marriage. We just do whatever Sarah says and everything's good, right? Yeah, men, can anybody, can I get an amen? Am I talking to somebody here in the house this morning? But, but now we've got two kids and so it's even worse, my children, they will literally be eating breakfast, like Pop-Tart in hand, right? Like, like mouthful of food. What's for dinner? Are you serious? They are worried about it. They have a track record of three square meals a day plus snacks for 13 and 10 years respectively. And they want to know what's for dinner as if all of a sudden Sarah and I will decide we are no longer going to feed them. <laughs> like, don't worry about it. When it comes dinner time, we'll put something in front of you and you'll eat it. Right? And when we do tell them what we're having for dinner, my 10-year-old Avery, it doesn't matter what it is. She doesn't like it. It could have been a meal that she enjoyed last week. And all of a sudden, it's disgusting. She doesn't like it anymore. And, and the, the thing about it is this scenario, it only plays out in our house every single day. So it's really no big deal, right? You know, it only happens every day that we're dealing with this. And you guys are laughing because... No doubt, it's true, it's, it's, it's familiar to you as well. And, and I'm just here, I just wish somebody would have told me. Like, I wish that when I graduated from college, that, that the person that handed me my diploma would have said, congratulations on your accomplishment. Now, I hope you're prepared to spend approximately 72.6% of the rest of your life from this point forward trying to figure out what to do for dinner because that is what you have to look forward to. Like, I just want somebody just to let me know, right? And, and the good news is for us today is that this question of what's for dinner, it's not something that you and I have to deal with alone in, in just this modern age. In fact, this predicament, it's been around for centuries, long before the time of Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or Taco Bell. And, and as we'll soon discover, Jesus and his disciples, they once found themselves having to answer this same question as well. What's for dinner? 
Today, we're in part three of a series that we're calling The Miracles of Jesus, where we're taking a look at a handful of the miracles that Jesus performed in the Gospels of the New Testament in order to identify some of the specific principles from those instances that we can apply to our lives and position ourselves to receive a miracle as well. And two weeks ago, we kicked off this series by taking a look at Jesus' first recorded miracle when he turned water into wine at the wedding at Cana. And we learned that the best is yet to come because of Jesus, that wherever our life is now, that that because of the work that Christ is doing, that God's best is still out there for us to receive and take hold of. And and last week, we looked at um, a particular instance where Jesus, he healed a man of his leprosy. And we learned that if we'll allow Jesus to touch it, then he can transform it. Amen? And so today we're going to take a look at John's account of the only miracle outside of the resurrection itself, the only miracle that Jesus performed that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. It's probably the most well-known or one of the most well-known miracles. And so let's jump in together uh, in John chapter 6 starting with verse one, and we're going to read through this passage. I'm gonna break it down and we're gonna talk about it uh, for the remainder of our time together this morning. So John six, starting with verse one, my Bible says, after this, it's just talking about after the things that happened previous to this time. After this, Jesus went across Lake Galilee or Lake Tiberias as some knew it to be called. Verse two, many people followed him because they saw the miracles he did to heal the sick. Now, it's important before we go further for me to point out that the people that it's referring to, this crowd that is following him, that they're not following him because they believe in him as the son of God. They're simply following him to, quote unquote, to see the show. Right, like they've heard of his miracles. Maybe some of them have seen some of his miracles and they're like, hmm, I wanna check out and see more of this. Like they're there to be entertained a little bit. And so that's why this group of people, they've, they've started to follow him and Jesus recognizes this. And so he's trying to actually get away from them because he just wants to take some time to be alone with the father and to spend some time with um, his, uh, his 12 disciples. Um, and so the other accounts, uh, aside from John, some of them say that, that he withdrew to a lonely place, that he went away from the people on purpose because they were just following him to see the show and he was wanting to spend some time with God. He was wanting to spend some time with his close followers so that he could invest in them. Then we pick up in verse three. It says, Jesus went up on a hill and sat down there with his followers. It was almost time for the Jewish Passover feast. John, throughout his gospel, he records um, the different feasts 
that the nation of Israel was participating in. And so you can kind of see the, the chronological order and, and the, the time, it, it's almost a timestamp for the events as they were happening. And so you can follow along and see at what point within the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry that things fall. And so right now we're, we're right here at the Passover feast And verse five says that when Jesus looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where can we buy enough bread for all these people to eat? In other words, Jesus looked at Peter and said, what's for dinner? (laughs) Right? (laughs) So Jesus, they've gone across the the Sea of Galilee and and to withdraw to this remote place and they've gone up on the mountain and everything and and the people, they've actually um, uh, circumvented the lake or the sea and they've come around and and so no sooner did Jesus and his disciples get to where they're going and they sit down and they look up and all of a sudden this huge crowd is coming to them and it's getting late in the evening and so Jesus asks his disciples, he said, what what are we gonna, what are we gonna feed these people? And I love what verse six says. Verse six, in, in my translation, it's a, it's a parenthetical um, uh, citation here. And, and so it, it's giving you some background into what's going on. And uh, John, as the writer of this, he would have had a firsthand experience and account of this. And so he records it this way. He says, Jesus asked Philip this question, talking about, where can we buy enough bread for all these people to eat or what's for dinner? Jesus asked Philip this question, not because he was expecting Philip to do anything, but because Jesus already knew what he planned to do. I feel like somebody here today needs to be reminded that whatever situation you're facing in your life right now, it hasn't caught Jesus off guard. He's not pacing back and forth in the throne room of heaven, chewing his fingernails to the quick, trying to figure out how he's going to make a difference in your life. He's not trying to figure out what to do. He already knows what he's going to do. And not only that, he's already made the way for it to come to fruition. But what Jesus does in these situations is he includes us in the process because he wants to build our faith in him, our ability to trust him. And that's what's happening is Jesus has turned to Peter and said, hey, where can we get enough bread to feed all of these people? Verse seven, Philip answered, someone would have to work almost a year to buy enough bread for each person to have only a little piece. Another one of his followers, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother said, here's a boy with five loaves of barley bread and two little fish. But that is not enough for so many people. So, so Jesus sees the crowd coming. He turns to Philip. He's like, hey, where can we get enough bread to feed all of these people? It's getting late in the evening. Obviously, they're coming to us. We, we have a responsibility for them. And so, so we need to see to it that they get fed. And so Peter, or, or Philip rather, he, he's looking at the crowd. And so he's, he's doing the quick math and everything and carry the four and, you know... And he quickly discovers that it would cost nearly a year's wages. Some of your translations may say something like 200 denarii, a year's wages to give everybody even just a small, like one bite of bread. 
And so looking for a little bit of support, right? He's like looking for someone. Hey, can you back me up on this? He turns to Andrew and Andrew, he's, he's gone about things a little bit differently. He's kind of scanned the crowd really quick and he's found this little boy that he can manipulate and take advantage of. And he's like, give me your snack pack, bro. And he's like, here, this is all that I can, it's just, it's five, it's five little loaves of bread and just a couple of fish. Like, that's all that we could pull together. And so, as Philip and Andrew have pointed out in this passage, the situation at hand, it seemed hopeless. It seemed hopeless. Now, let me remind you that Just five chapters before these two men stood and watched as Jesus turned water into wine. They've they've seen him cause the nets of the fishing boat to overflow with fish. They've seen Jesus at this point. They've seen him calm a storm. They've watched him heal the sick. And they've even witnessed him raise the dead to life. But yet they look at this situation with a few hungry folks as if it is completely impossible for Jesus to do anything about it. And you know what I've discovered? You and I, we're a lot like them. Many of us have seen Jesus move countless times in our lives before, yet when another difficult situation arises, we somehow revert to our default mode of faithlessness and doubt. What's it going to take for us to realize that Jesus is never limited by our lack of resources? Never. We may not have enough, but Christ is enough. Whatever we have, it doesn't matter how many resources we can compile, how much we can scrounge together, how how many things we can beg, borrow, and steal to put together, no matter the amount that we have, even if it's a great amount, our amount apart from Jesus equals nothing. But whatever we have, even in its finite amount, whatever we do have plus Jesus is everything, right? Right? Whatever we do have, plus Jesus, is everything. And so in verse 10, Jesus starts to bring some order to the situation. And he says, tell the people to sit down. There was plenty of grass there. And about 5,000 men sat down there. Now, you can imagine that at this moment, like the, the people they're starting to get a little bit restless. You know, they've come and they're, they're expecting something from Jesus. That's why they're there in the first place. This passage starts off saying that the people were following him because of the miracles, the signs, the wonders that he was doing. And so the people have come and they are expecting to see the show. They're expecting Jesus to do something miraculous. And so they show up and, and, and it, it says that there are about 5,000 men. That's not including women or children. And so some scholars would suggest that there would have been somewhere between maybe 12 to upwards of 20,000 people 
that are here, that, that, are, that are gathered together at this moment. And, and no doubt they're getting hungry and that hungry turns into hangry. And you know how people get when they are hangry and you got a whole bunch of people like, it's not just one or two, it's thousands of hangry people. And that is a recipe for disaster. And so Jesus, he tells his followers, he says, go and tell the people to sit down. And what Jesus is saying is, relax, I got this. You may see an impossible situation, but you just need to sit down. You need to take a load off. You need to chill out. I have got this under control. Just relax. I got it. Verse 11. Then Jesus took the loaves of bread. This is from the, the little boy's lunch that, that Andrew like arm wrestled him for. And he's like, I got you, 10-year-old. Give me your lunch. Jesus took the loaves of bread and he thanked God for them. And he gave them to the people who were sitting there. He did the same with the fish, giving as much as the people wanted. I'd like to point out that despite the fact that this little boy's lunch wasn't nearly enough to meet the need, Jesus still thanked God for it. And I believe that one of the keys to unlocking the blessings and provision of God in our lives is to simply be thankful for what he's already blessed and provided us with, no matter how small it may be. That if we'll come to the place where we're showing gratitude for the blessings of God in our life, that, that then he, he may be willing to give us more if we're thankful for what we already have instead of looking at, and sh looking at it and shaking our fists at God and saying, this is it? This is all you're at? Like, I thought you're the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You're the God of the universe and this is all you can bring? No, thank you, God. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your provision. And if we approach God in that way, then he is much more apt to bring about more blessing and more provision in our lives. So Jesus thanks God for this little boy's lunch. And he starts passing it out, passing it out, passing it out, passing it out. And with every single, every single handout that Jesus offers the disciples, like I bet their eyes were like the size of dinner plates and they're seeing this happen and they're watching like this little thermos lunchbox turn into a feast for everyone that is there. Verse 12, I love this. When they, talking about the multitudes, those thousands of people, when they all had enough to eat, Jesus said to his followers, gather the leftover pieces of fish and bread so that nothing is wasted. So they gathered up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with the pieces left from the five barley loaves. Now, it's important to note something about this little boy's lunch, these five barley loaves, these two fish. It was, it was the food of a poor commoner. Small barley rolls, like maybe not even the size of your fist, and a couple of fish that would have been either dried or pickled. Mmm, sounds good, right? Yeah, let's get some of that. Um, the, the fact that this was the only food source available gives us, the reader, a little bit of insight into the fact that the majority of this group were likely poor commoners 
as well. That like in the midst of this multitude, all that they could scrounge up was just one little boy's lunch. And then it consisted of stuff that would have been on the, the bottom end of the food chain that only poor people would have eaten. See, it would have been a rarity for these people to ever eat as much as they wanted at a meal of any kind. And a full belly was, was something that most, if not all of them, may had, had never have experienced before in their entire lives. And no doubt, there, there were certainly never an instance where there were leftovers. But what this story tells us, what this passage communicates to us is that when Jesus meets a need, not only is he enough, but he is more than enough. Not only, he, he's not just gonna meet like at, at just like just enough to get by. The, the God that we serve, he goes over and above the call of duty. And there were 12 baskets of leftovers. There were 12 disciples. I don't find that as a coincidence as I read this passage. See, those same disciples that initially doubted they had enough left over for tomorrow's lunch to serve as a reminder of what this man that they knew as Jesus was capable of. Not only can I meet your need today, but I can meet it tomorrow too. Like whatever you got going on, I'm enough for that and then some. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate here this morning. Verse 14 says that when the people saw this miracle that Jesus did, they said, he must truly be the prophet who is coming into the world. Jesus knew that the people planned to come and take him by force and make him their king. So he left and went into the hills alone. So Jesus is just fed all these people miraculously. And, and even though they may have recognized him as a prophet, they still did not recognize him as the son of God, as the Messiah. See, the only reason that they wanted to take him by force and make him their king is so that he could change the governmental situation and, 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 and turn the economic situation that they were in on its head so that they could experience a full belly more often. That's why they wanted him to be in power. And so Jesus, recognizing this, in maybe a miracle in and of itself that isn't directly listed, he somehow escapes thousands of people and is able to go up into the hills and be alone. And it's nighttime and everybody goes to sleep and we fast forward to the next day as we move down into the chapter a little bit, skipping down to verse 25. Now, what's happened is, is that while everyone is sleeping, Jesus went up to pray and be with the Father. And now he's gone to the other side of the lake at this point in the middle of the night while everyone is sleeping. And the way that he got there was pretty cool. He just decided he was gonna walk across the water. You know, because that's how Jesus does things. So he walks across the water and he's on the other side of the lake and the people wake up and they are looking around for Jesus. Where is Jesus? We can't find him. And then they notice, oh, he's on the other side. And so they go to start looking for him. And in verse 25, we pick up and we, say, we see that the Bible says that when the people found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked them, teacher, when did you come here? 
And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You aren't looking for me because you saw me do miracles. You were looking for me because you ate the bread and were satisfied. See, night had come and now it was morning. Dinner was over. That feeling of a full belly was gone and now it was time for breakfast. And the people had come to find Jesus because they wanted to experience a full belly once again. And Jesus answered them by saying this in verse 27. He said, don't work for the food that spoils. Work for the food that stays good always and gives eternal life. The son of man will give you this food because on him, God the father has put this power. And Jesus is trying to give these people, he's trying to give them a new perspective, a different outlook on things. Ultimately, what he's telling them is stop focusing on the desire for the food of the physical world, but instead focus your desire on the food that takes place in the spiritual realm. In other words, he's saying the problem that you have, you recognize it as a physical one, but it's not a physical issue. It is a spiritual issue in your life that needs to be dealt with. And Jesus is telling them, I, the person that you are standing here looking at, conversing with, face to face with, I've been given authority from the Father to address this spiritual problem, to meet this spiritual need. Verse 28, the people asked Jesus, what are the things God wants us to do? And Jesus answered, the work God wants you to do is this. Believe the one he sent. So the people asked, well, what miracle will you do? If we see a miracle, we will believe in you. What will you do? And they just don't get it. Just yesterday evening, they saw him do this incredible miracle, and yet they are still wanting a sign in order to believe. Verse 31, they said, our ancestors ate the manna in the desert. And this is written in the scriptures. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And they thought they were talking about Moses. But Jesus said, In verse 32, I tell you the truth, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. It is my father who is giving you the true bread from heaven. God's bread is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And the people said, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said, I am the bread that gives life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes on me will never be thirsty. But as I told you before, you have seen me and you still don't believe. Here's what you need to know this morning. Not only is Jesus able to solve your current problem, the problem you face with your finances, the problem you face in your marriage, the problem you're dealing with at your job or with your kids, your health, your addictions, not only is Jesus able to solve those problems, but he's also able to solve your ultimate problem. The problem of having your sins forgiven, to be right with God the Father spiritually. 
See, Christ isn't just enough for our earthly need. He's also enough for our eternal need. The people that day, they were hungry physically. So Jesus broke the bread so that they could be filled. But in the midst of that miracle taking place, they failed to realize what he was pointing them towards the whole time. That not only were they physically hungry, but they had a spiritual hunger and desire as well. And and just as the bread would be broken to fulfill their physical hunger, that he would go to a criminal's cross and be broken to meet the need of their spiritual hunger so that they too could be filled there. So you and I, we've got to come to the place where we realize that Jesus didn't just come to change what we have in our hand. He came to change what we have in our heart. We can't follow him simply for what he's able to provide us here on this earth. We must go all in and follow him for what he promises for our eternity. Make no mistake about it. He's more than capable of meeting our physical needs. But you and I have a choice. We can come to him for supper and be satisfied temporarily, or we can call on him as savior and be satisfied forever. We can come to him for supper and be satisfied temporarily or we can call on him as savior and be satisfied forever. I believe there may be somebody here this morning that needs to do just that. That for whatever reason, maybe in your life, you've been just seeking Jesus for what he's able to do for you in the here and now. but it's time for you to step across the line and to put your faith and your hope and your trust in him, not just for what you see in this earth, but for what is yet to come. If you'd like to do that this morning, I I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me. It's gonna be on the screen in behind me. If we could, just bow our heads. that's you, you can look up at the screen and just pray this prayer along with me. If you'd like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, we pray this. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner, that I'm lost without you. I believe that Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. If that's you this morning, I wanna congratulate you on making the best decision that you could possibly make. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.